welcome to Privacy Paths, the Privacy Laws and Business podcast on data protection issues. So my name is Laura Lincomies. I am editor of our publications. Today we will address the EU General Data Protection Regulation, known as the GDPR, and particularly its concepts of controllers and processors. That means which actors have different roles in the processing of personal data. And um, today we have joining us Elisabeth Yilderud, who is the International Legal Advisor and Coordinator, International and EU Department at the Swedish Data Protection Authority. And she is also a member of the EDPB, which is a, a joint body of the EU Data Protection Authorities, where they work very hard to give guidance for organizations on how to comply with the GDPR. And recently, the board had, has issued guidelines on GDPR control and process issues. So thank you very much for joining us, Elizabeth. And can you please explain why was this guidance needed? Well, there, there was actually guidance already from the Article 29 Working Party, who was the predecessor of the EDPB. They adopted guidance on the concepts of controller and processor in 2010, which is 10 years ago. Uh, but since then, obviously, new technology has uh, developed. Organizational structures have developed. We have new le legislation uh, in the form of the GDPR, of course. And also just recently, we had some new rulings from the EU Court of Justice. So all of these factors uh, made the EDPB want to revise the previous guidance to see if and to what extent it needed to be updated. So that's the, the general reasoning behind the, the revision. These concepts are very central concepts uh, for uh, compliance and applications of the GDPR. So it is an important issue to, to discuss and to provide guidance on. Sure. And of course, the GDPR promotes harmonization across EU. So had there been some differences in approach in the past um, between different member states? No, I don't think that was uh, the main reason behind uh, providing this guidance. I think that it was more of um, first the, the concepts and the definitions, the interpretations of those are difficult as they are. But also with the recent EU Court uh, of Justice rulings, which uh, discussed uh, the concept of joint controllership, which uh, led to many uh, questions from, from the outer world. So that was perhaps the main reason behind the work that was done right now. Okay, so in its guidance the board says that the data controller, which means the main organization processing the data, determines the purposes and means of the processing, but some of the more practical aspects of implementation can be left to the processor. So what does this mean in practice? Well, it means that, that the definition of controller in the GDPR is that that's the actor who decides the, the purposes and means of, uh, of the processing. So we have the controller, and then we have the processor on the other hand, who is uh, only supposed to act according to instructions from the controller. So this is the, the main, the general starting point. But obviously, when you hire a processor uh, to carry out processing on your behalf, um, 
This is usually because you want the processor to act according to their own competence and qualifications, and you want them to contribute with their expertise. And so therefore, we, we've seen that there has to be some room also for the processor to, to be able to take certain decisions uh, of their own in order to carry out the tasks that they are asked to carry out. So we, we were discussing how to draw the line between the decisions that are clearly for the controller to, to make and to what extent and what kind of decisions the processor want, uh, can, would be able to take. And we came to the conclusion that certain practical aspects of the implementation, uh, such as very detailed security measures, the choice of hardware or software or other equipment, and those more practical aspects uh, could be for the uh, processor to, to decide on. So to be qualified as a controller, is it actually necessary that that organization has access to the data that is being processed? No, we say that it's not necessary. The important thing for defining the controller is that it should be the actor who decides on purposes and means. But this does not imply that you also has, have to have access to the data. Um, we have an example of where a company hires a market research company in order to carry out uh, a certain market research. And uh, this company, the first company, decides what kind of research they want, what kind of uh, categories of, of data that they want, kind, what type of information they want to, to obtain. But it's up to the research company to, to carry out the actual collection of data and so on. And so they collect data through questionnaires, etc., and um, provide more aggregated or statistical information to the, the first client company. So in this case, the client company does not have access to uh, data about uh, certain individuals. They only have statistical information. But they are the ones who have ordered the, the research and decided the, the boundaries for this research. So in that case, they are the controller, but they do not necessarily have access to, to the data about individuals. Okay, so um, if a controller must only use the kind of processors who provide sufficient guarantees to implement what's called the appropriate technical and organizational measures so that the processing meets the GDPR requirements, what is meant by these guarantees? It means that the controller or the processor must show that they have expert knowledge, for example, that they have the technical expertise that is uh, required that they are reliable and that they have appropriate resources to implement the technical and organizational measures that are necessary. So, and the assessment of this has to be made in each individual case, depending on the nature and the scope of the processing, but also on the, based on the risks involved for, for data subjects. And um, how can organizations assess the processor reliability? This can be assessed, for example, by the processor showing that they adhere to a certain approved uh, code of conduct or certification mechanism. Uh, they can uh, illustrate this by providing their privacy policy and so on. Uh, 
but also the market reputation may, may be a relevant factor in this assessment. And um, is it also possible for the controller to conduct audits on the process to check what they are actually doing in real life? Yes, that's actually a recommendation that we have in the guidelines that the controllers should do audits and inspections with the process regularly to, to make sure that they uh, do what they have to. And this is also something that should be introduced in the processor's agreement, the agreement between the controller and processor to, to lay down the, the procedures for such audits and, and inspections. When such um, agreements are negotiated, do, have you come across situations where there's a very big, powerful firm and they will sort of have an upper hand in the negotiations and the processor more or less has to do whatever is um, asked of them? Yes, we... We do recognize that, of course, that in many cases, service providers that offer processing services are big global companies and they, they offer a solution that may be a, a sort of one size fits all. But uh, we, we emphasize this in the guidance that in, in such cases, you must remember that it's always the controller who bears the responsibility for, uh, or the ultimate responsibility for complying with the GDPR. So that the fact that the processor offers a predefined service does not discharge the controller from taking their responsibilities. So they must be able to, to change certain settings if they find that that is required. And they must uh, carefully look at and evaluate the, the terms and clauses that are offered so that they can actually take the responsibility that they are supposed to take. So you said the... Um controller has the ultimate responsibility. Are you implying that the processor can have some responsibility in certain circumstances? Yes, indeed. And that's kind of a new feature with the GDPR that it lays down obligations and a certain responsibility also for processor, which wasn't in the previous data protection directive, but it's it's very clear in the, the current GDPR. And um, when the processor controller contracts are being drawn up and, and approved, how often should the two actors go back to the contracts to review them? Well, that is something that might be uh, or may have to be assessed based on the, the circumstances in, in the specific case. For example, the, the duration of the, uh, of the contract and the duration of the processing. But we, we clearly say in the guidelines that it should be... Uh, the obligations, according to Article 28 in the GDPR, which includes the obligation to have a processor contract, uh, they are continuous obligations. It's not a one-off event that you have to make sure that you comply with these obligations throughout the processing. And that may require that you review the contract at regular intervals to make sure that everything is in place and compliant. And um, in the GDPR, we also have a third concept called the joint controllership. So what does this mean and, and who makes the decisions? Yes, joint controllership exists when several actors are involved in, in the processing so that they jointly determine the purposes and means. Uh, joint controllership mirrors the, the single controllership. So it's the uh, it's basically the same definition. Controller and joint controllers are the ones who determine purposes and means. But in a joint controllership, uh, there are several actors involved in the determination of purposes and means. So this can be uh, 
due to a common decision where all the actors jointly have one and the same decision to, to carry out personal data processing in a certain way. But what we explain also is that joint controllership may exist based on different decisions, but converging decisions where each actor all take their own decision around the processing, but the processing of all the parties are necessary for the processing to to take place. So the, the decisions and the processing is, as we say, inseparable or inextricably linked, which is a term that we've used. So it's, uh, the processing would not be possible without all parties participating. But in case things go wrong and there's a data breach, who is then responsible? Or let's say if there's a 50 million fine, will they just split it between the two parties? Well, we haven't discussed uh, fining or liability for, for damages in the guidance, but we... we talk more in general about how the responsibility should be be divided between joint controllers. And it's important to remember that according to Article 26 of the GDPR, uh, joint controllers must put in place an agreement uh, between them where they uh, lay down how to to, um, divide the responsibility and how to distribute the different tasks uh, within the processing. So, for example, uh, and these responsibilities may be uh, distributed uh, evenly, but also uh, in, in different regards. So, for example, one controller may be more uh, apt to be the contact point for data subjects. Uh, another controller may be more uh, relevant for taking the deciding on security measures and so on. Uh, but then on the other hand, certain responsibilities must be for all the controllers to to take. For example, the, the fact that you have a legal basis for the processing, uh, that you have uh, that you respect the purpose limitation principle, of course. The distribution responsibilities may be may be different, but it depends on on specific circumstances in, in each case. So in a data breach situation, there's two notifications to be made to the authority, but also to the individuals affected, which can potentially be very costly if we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. So who would bear that cost in in the different circumstances? Well, it's always the controller who should notify uh, a data breach to the supervisory authority and who should uh, provide information to to data subjects if that's necessary. And in the case of joint controllers, that is something that they could agree on in this uh, agreement according to Article 26 that I mentioned. So uh, that's something that they could agree on. But it's it's always a controller who should uh, comply with this notification obligation. The board also, um, at the same time when they issued the controller, processor guidelines issued some new guidance on social media. Could you briefly describe the main aspects of it? Yes, we've uh, noted, of course, that today many social media providers offer so-called targeting services, whereby uh, we call targeters, could be companies, non-profit organizations, etc. They can communicate specific 
tailor-made messages to social media users to send commercial or political messages. And we wanted to provide more guidance on, on this. First of all, the fact that it exists, because in many, uh, to great extent, perhaps social media users are not really aware of this. And they're not able to, to control uh, this kind of processing. So we wanted to, in this document, explain the different um, procedures, the different methods for such targeting. And we have illustrated this with a, a number of examples on, on different such methods. And also to discuss how this can be done, but still complying with the, with the GDPR, what you need to take into account in order to comply with the GDPR. So this guidance is for organizations. Is the board also thinking of issuing guidance to the individual? So is this a responsibility for a completely different body? No, this is uh, perhaps mainly for the social media providers, but I think that it also provides uh, some um, some transparency for the social media users to, to be aware of that this is what is being done and this is how it's being done. Thank you very much for your time and, and giving us this uh, snapshot of the uh, current work at the EDPB. And um, this is the end of this week's podcast. Please follow us on Twitter, where the handle is at Propsilos. We're also at LinkedIn. For more in-depth analysis and news, uh, please follow our publications. More information about that at www.privacylaws.com. Thank you. Thank you.